Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Aaron Plyme and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. Yay. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You I, know, I totally forgot how to do my job in the time that we took off, but I still remember it's the beginning of our podcast. I know, right? <laughs> I, yeah. So we're back. Yay. We have a new season. We do. And we're starting something new this season, like a, a season-long challenge. We are, but don't worry. It doesn't matter until the second episode. <laughs> you have a little bit of time. So we talked about this a long time ago. Long time ago. And, well, we had decided we wanted to do it, like, a long time ago. Right. But it was, it was like, just an accident, right? We had been doing a number of stories where they all kind of had a thread. Right, yeah, that we were finding ties between all of them right Mm -hmm. we're like wouldn't that be a fun way to do a whole season like every story you do has to tie to the previous story you told yes we should do that we should let's do it now okay okay actually let's do it next week because there's nothing to tie the first story to oh wait nope Diana's tied it to some- <laughs> she's like oh oh really really okay fine fine very tangential that works <laughs> sounds good um so that's season four's plan yay and we're gonna point it out we're gonna call it out right that's oh planned. yeah okay unless at some point we want to make it a contest which might be i was fun. gonna say unless unless it was like a challenge that could be let's fun. let's do a few weeks and then see right so i'm i'm thinking about mine and i'm thinking it's gonna be a tiny threat like a weird detail not like a major like i'm not gonna do a serial killer every week and be like well it's a serial it's killer, a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> however you could go super meta and do like the serial killers on my poster that nobody knows about <laughs> oh indeed that might be kind of funny. <laughs> Diana has a poster. It has serial killers. I do. It. And now I have a frame and I'll take a picture of it once I figure out where to put it. So you should ask me what I learned because I'm about to forget what I learned. Okay. Erin. Yeah. Did you learn something I, since we've last talked? Um, Actually, yes. <laughs> Even though we just got home from brunch. Well, like recorded talking. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, I kind of learned this as well. Like it was, um, it's something I learned this week, but then I expanded on my knowledge a little bit to make it more interesting and mm. less, God, Aaron's an idiot than <laughs> I really am. Um, Is that the new segment? Yes. God, I think Aaron's it, an idiot. <laughs> that's what we're going to, instead of what did you learn, like, how were you an idiot this week? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Our show is going to get a lot longer if I have to talk about all the ways I'm an idiot during the week. Um, yeah. I'm just going to get a button for myself. It's like, I'm probably the problem. <laughs> Sorry, it was probably me. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's what I learned. Okay. So for Christmas, I got David a bird feeder. And it's a squirrel-proof bird feeder. <laughs> right? And I get why it's a squirrel proof bird feeder but all i could think was that's so mean 
<laughs> so then I got a squirrel feeder. Oh my God. <laughs> so I've really been enjoying the squirrels. Mm-hmm. And this week I learned there are red squirrels here. I've never yeah. seen one that wasn't in a picture. And it was so cute. So I also learned that there are red squirrels here when you told me. Because <laughs> I've never seen one outside of a picnic. Uh, picnic. A picnic. A picture a except for, for the one that you sent me. <laughs> yep. Um, so. I did not realize we had red squirrels up here. Yep. There are. Are you sure they were just visiting? Was it a I, country squirrel? A co- no. <laughs> no. <laughs> a, that's a mouse. No. Um, no, they they absolutely live here. Because what I have also learned, in order to make this slightly more impressive, um, <laughs> there are 10 species of squirrels in Minnesota. No shit. Yes. So there are five that live in trees. Gray, red, fox squirrels, northern flying squirrels, and southern flying squirrels. So we do have flying squirrels here because we were talking two about kinds. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I did not know that either. There are two kinds of ground squirrels: the Franklin's ground squirrel and the Richardson ground squirrel. <laughs> they hibernate, so we will not be seeing them right now. Okay. Um. Then there are two kinds of chipmunks which count, mm-hmm. so least and eastern. I would like to point out that you are neither southern nor eastern in, in here. That's This does not make any sense. I mean, it depends where you're coming from. I know, but it's not. <laughs> Having just come from the southeast. I know. We are pretty firmly in the middle. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty much in the middle. Um, and then there is another one that's technically a ground squirrel, but it gets its own category. Ooh. And it is called the 13-lined squirrel. Hmm. He is the the mascot that is of U of M. That's a that's a gopher. We call it a gopher. Well, it is apparently called a 13-lined squirrel. That's fine. But it's not the Minnesota 13-line squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> it is the Golden Gophers. He <laughs> prefers the grassland, but has adapted to city life. Invading attics. The we had them in our bathroom once. Not in this house. <laughs> People here seem just like fine that all these animals keep coming in your house i mean it was 30 years ago so i've gotten over it a little bit but it was kind of fucking dramatic at the time i yeah i mean my parents had the flying squirrel incident but yeah that was more cute all right so um i i learned something else really quick well two things two more things about squirrels i'm learning all sorts of um, ground squirrels and gophers are not the same thing but the ground, the thirteen line ground squirrel, is often called the striped gopher. So, in fact, the mascot is not a gopher; it is a squirrel. And you guys just don't know what a gopher is. Although I did just have to look it up to see if they were the okay. same. Okay, okay. So, are gophers different from chipmunks? Yes. And they're all different than squirrels. Yes. Well, no I think they might all. They're all in the same, like, category. Right, right, right. But so, I mean, the Gold- Goldie the Gopher is a cartoon. Well, yes. <laughs> so and I a ground like squirrel. I feel like we can call her whatever we want. Goldie the ground squirrel. See, it just doesn't roll. Not as much, but at least it's still... <laughs> I don't know. Jeff worked at the U for, like, 32 years. 
<laughs> it's ground squirrel. Ooh, they're also known as leopard ground squirrels. Really? Or squinnies. Okay, now we got to bring Squinny back. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Squinny. That's a fun thing to say it to. <laughs> back when uh, they thought I had that autoimmune disease. Yeah. The original name for it was, um, I think it was Quinky's disease. Oh. And I was like, I'm just going to tell everybody I have Quinky's disease now. Right? What's wrong with you? Quinkies. Quinkies. I got the Quinkies. Yeah. It does not sound very serious. <laughs> no. It was. It has a very high fatality rate. <laughs> I don't have it though. That uh, yes, that's yeah. That's a terrible name for anything with It was the guy's any name. Any kind of. Well, yeah, but like But, but that's a terrible sorry, name. dude. Well, that's true too. <laughs> hey, Mr. Quinky. Yeah. <laughs> Professor Quinky, Dr. Quinky. Right. <laughs> Dr. Quinky discovered this thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then you named it after yourself, didn't you? There you yeah. go. Classic Quinky. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. This episode gets its own hashtag. Classic quinky. <laughs> so if you're considering having a squirrel as a pet, because they are so cute and there are 10 different options and some of them are chipmunks, which is just fucking cute. The chipmunks are cute. They are really cute. And the red squirrel they're not is really bathroom. cute. Yeah. Squirrels are cute. Up at my great aunt in Canada, they're black. Their squirrels are black. We do not seem to have. Oh, wait. Was we don't because I had never seen one before. And it was like, Merla, what's wrong with your squirrel? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? What happened to it? Why is Did it you burn color? it? What are you doing? <laughs> I don't know if I know what a fox squirrel is. Anyway, I have to get through this thing I know. Okay. If you are considering owning one and putting it in a little cage or with a tiny, tiny ferret harness, you should know that's illegal. Damn it. Now I now I am considering it. <laughs> because in Minnesota, you'd be stealing it from the state because the state owns every squirrel. Really? Yes. Like the queen and the swans? Kind of. Oh, wow. I it didn't know that. It sounds like um, there are, uh, so in its sovereign capacity of the benefit of all people of the state, it owns all of the squirrels. It sounds like there are probably a lot of things that they own all of. Um, which is a clever way to keep people from keeping certain animals as pets. I suppose. I was mostly thinking, um, Jeff has very few, like, picky things about the house. Uh-huh. But don't mess up the fucking floors. Okay. Like, if there is a chair without eight layers of padding between it and the chair, there is a problem. Like, Okay. That is the one thing he gets really hyped up about. So <laughs> my course. first thought was when he said, if you're thinking about keeping a squirrel's pet, my first thought is, those claws are going to fuck up my floors. That's right. <laughs> you have to trim his little nails. I feel like that might fuck me up. <laughs> I mean, I, if you go outside and grab one and bring it inside, yeah, it probably would. <laughs> okay. So Diana, did you learn anything about squirrels? I just did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I learned quite a lot of things about squirrels. I need to see a fox squirrel. Like, I just, that yeah, sounds need, really interesting. I need to look that up. Right? All right. What did you learn? I learned a sad thing. Why? Well, I didn't mean to. Okay. But I might have found a version of pickle that I'm not okay with. Oh, my God. My head was like... This is going to be awful. And I don't understand why she's so excited to tell me. No, it is kind of awful. 
the Sun Glow mm-hmm. Restaurant and Motel in Bicknell, Utah, population 321. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. I know. That's why it's in there. <laughs> is known for, shall we say, unconventional pies. Okay. On the menu, they have standards like apple or blueberry, but they okay. also have oatmeal, sour cream, buttermilk, avocado lime, pinto bean, and pickle. Pickle pie. So, okay. I found this out on Atlas Obscura. Hold on, it gets worse. Oh, okay. From Atlas Obscura. Tasters say the initial impression reads like a mince pie. As you continue chewing, however, the spiced overtones fade into a distinct tanginess. The pie starts with a base of ground sweet pickles, which get turned into filling by adding eggs, sugar, cinnamon, nutmeg, lemon extract, cream, and margarine. So try to hide the pickle. It's then baked in a classic pie crust and served with a side of whipped cream. First of all, Sweet pickles are a fucking abomination, and I'll fight anybody who says anything differently. So then this is not the only kind of pickle. Okay, you're right. Sweet pickles are fucking I, weird. I have a question. <laughs> what about the little tiny ones you get on Thanksgiving that are like... The, the tiny gherkins? Thumb? Yeah. Those are good. Those are dill. No, they're not. Oh, you, you and I are buying different gherkins. <laughs> <laughs> I have only ever had the like bread and butter one. Oh, no. I don't, I don't care for the sweet pickles. How does this get worse? That was it. Oh, the the all those spices. All the spice, cinnamon and nutmeg with pickles. Yeah, I, and lemon and cream. Like, I just I don't get how it would go together and not taste like slop or, or vomit. Like sometimes yeah. you mix enough things together, and if there's any acid in there, it just kind of tastes like puke. Well, and there's two acids because it's got the lemon extract too. Right, and then margarine. Well, I think margarine you you'd have to have if it's any sort of like most pie has butter in it. Butter. Well, okay. Oh, I also found out this week for our vegan listeners that Blue Bonnet is now vegan. Oh. Which is much cheaper and more readily available than the Earth Balance shit that I've been buying. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Erin. Yes. Do you remember? Probably not. <laughs> My very first episode. Yes, I do. Okay. I do. So I know we're not actually starting the challenge of tying all our stories together until like today into the next one. Right. But I wanted to go back to my roots. Oh my God, Diana. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was going to do something else mobster related in St. Paul. Uh And then I found this story. Okay. Uh, And I had to go with it because Tilmer Eugene Thompson. Tilmer. Tilmer. What do you call Tilmer? T. Eugene, as it turns out. Okay. (laughs) Tilmer Eugene Thompson was born on August 7th, 1927 in Blue Earth, Minnesota, which is about 120 miles southwest of Minneapolis. Uh, It's also by where I went to college in Mankato. Okay. And um, allegedly the people that named Mankato Mankato thought that it was the local indigenous word for um, Blue Earth. Uh Uh-huh. But the way you pronounce it, it is Blue Skunk. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also not a gopher. No, but much funnier. Right. 
uh, he was the son of a chicken farmer, also named Tilmer. So I'm glad that got passed on. Right. He's like, you know what sucks worse than being a chicken farmer? <laughs> being named Tilmer. <laughs> make sure my kid gets both. Absolutely. He attended high school in Elmore, Minnesota, where he played football with future vice president Walter Mondale. Wow. Mm-hmm. He was known as Cotton due to his white blonde hair. Not because that is something we can grow up here. Also, if my name was Tilmer, I might go by Cotton. I would go by almost anything else. (laughs) (laughs) He dropped out of high school to join the Navy. He was a minesweeper in the Pacific during World War II. After the war, he returned to the Twin Cities and attended McAllister College in St. Paul. There he met his future wife, Carol Swoboda. Ooh, Swoboda. My um, brownie troop leader used to be named... No shit. Svoboda. All right, Svoboda. They were married in 1948. After graduating from McAllister, he attended the St. Paul College of Law, which is now the Mitchell Hamlin School of Law, which I thought was still called the William Mitchell School of Law, but apparently isn't. (laughs) For all those locals out there behind on their law schools, William Mitchell and Hamlin combined. I mean, if they would stop changing the name every two years. Well, I also I also found out, because when I was looking at this, they kept talking about how he went to the St. Paul College of Law. And I was like, oh, I don't know that one. And I so I looked it up, and it turned out that the St. Paul College of Law and four or five other local law colleges combined to make William Mitchell. Oh, okay. Which, when I was going to go to law school, was where I was going to go to law school. Right. Um, and then, yeah, now they've merged with Hamlin, and which I didn't even know about. <laughs> so, gotcha. yeah, there's like seven law schools in there. Um, he was admitted to the bar in 1955. I was not yet born. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Carol and T. Eugene, uh, as he was known professionally, had four children. Okay, I just, when you say T. Eugene, mm-hmm. I know it's T. Eugene, but... It sounds like T-U-Gene. <laughs> T-U-Gene. Like, and I sat here for a moment going, you. I don't remember his middle name. Start. They're not spelling Eugene with a U, are they? <laughs> so uh, apparently people called him Gene casually, but yeah. I shall be referring to him as T-U-Gene because T-U-Gene. that's just funny as hell. It's like Tug-Ean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, when I was telling Jeff about this about, and I was saying T-U-Gene, he's like, what? What are those words? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Carol and T. Eugene had four children. A boy, Jeff, was born in 1949. Not my Jeff. <laughs> and they had three daughters, Patricia, Margaret, and Amy, born in 1951, 1953, and 1956. They went with Jeff instead of Tillmore. They did. They broke the cycle. <laughs> They're like... What is the least like to Right. T. Eugene was like, no more. Not (laughs) on my watch. In 1958, they moved to 1720 Hillcrest Avenue in St. Paul. Which Which is is where the crime happened. Which is in the Highland Park area of town. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, about seven miles that way down the road. That way is like over my head behind me. In case you all wondered which way that way was. Down Hamlin, which is the road named after the school. <laughs> and you just told everybody where you live. I We have mentioned it before. <laughs> <laughs> Hamlin is a long road. 
it, that is also true. And there could be like eight of them. That's my experience here. So you just have like four names. and Well, many major roads in St. Paul are at some point perpendicular to themselves. Yeah. So really, <laughs> if you come here looking for Diana, you could be out there for a long oh, time. Oh, so long. By all accounts, to Eugene and Carol had a good marriage. They were active in the community and in their church where T. Eugene was an elder and a trustee. They took lots of trips together. T. Eugene was very successful in his law practice, and he worked primarily with personal injury, domestic relations, and criminal law. He also taught some classes at his alma mater, which by then was known as William Mitchell College of Law. Carol was active in the Scouts and had lots of friends that she would frequently play bridge and drink coffee with. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Uh, one of the quotes I read said she was like the perfect 50s mom. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. No, that. Yeah. Also. Yeah. And when you see the picture of her, she is the perfect 50s mom. Uh, she's got the beautiful little pin curl. She's got the great, you know, yes. corner and glasses. Yeah. 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 In the summer of 1960, in the summer of 1960, T. Eugene became acquainted with a lady named Jacqueline Okeneski, whom he was representing in a divorce case. That sounds like attorney-client privilege being violated in that article. <laughs> they soon became better acquainted, <laughs> having dinner dates, trips to out-of-state motels, hmm. trips to a lake home in Forest Lake, which was owned by Carol's father. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. They took so many trips up by Brainerd. That people up there thought that Jackie was his wife. Oh, yeah. Jackie went to business school with money borrowed from T. Eugene. And when she graduated, she was given a job as his secretary and repaid the loan. Mm -hmm. In December of 1961, Jackie began dating another guy. And in early 1962, she returned the ring that T. Eugene had given her and quit her job at his law firm. T. Eugene wasn't thrilled about that. They went out a few times after that, and Jackie told him that she was going to marry this other guy. In February, T. Eugene asked her to give him a year or 11 months to get his financial affairs in order so that he could keep his family in good shape. A year or 11 months? A year or 11 months. <laughs> like, I need you here until the 2nd of February. So like a year or, or 11 months. Right. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Um, apparently he was really worried that when he left the family, they wouldn't live in the style they were accustomed to. So he wanted to like get some financial shit in order, which is better than he could be in this situation. Right. Right. Um, so he asked for this year or 11 months and she replied that she was not interested in being kept. She married the other guy in June of that year. Later that summer, she came to T. Eugene's office to talk about getting a divorce from the new guy. Uh, the two went out to lunch, and T. Eugene asked Jackie if she would marry him if he put $10,000 in a bank account in her name. And again, she said no. Um, even if I was inclined to say yes, the second half of that statement, I'd be like, oh, no. Yeah. Um, he drew up the divorce papers and served them himself, but she and the husband reconciled. Shortly after Christmas of that year, T. Eugene called her and again asked if she would be interested in taking an apartment in a building that he owned. Mm -hmm. And she said no. Right. Um, dude, I'm married to this other guy. Right. And it seems like she got married a lot. 
Yeah. Like, I think the divorce she went to T.U.G. non was her second. Right. And she was fairly young. And then this was husband number three. Right. Um, But, it, like, they reconciled. And also, she had broken up with him as she was getting serious with the other guy. Like, right. we done here. Right. I've paid you back. I've quit my job. I'm not fucking you. <laughs> like, right. You I don't know? want the apartment. I don't want the money. I just... Right. You don't have any months. Right. Like, come on. Right. <laughs> I No, not interested. During all of this, life was going on as usual in the Thompson household. In January of 1962, T. Eugene and Carol took a trip to, co- to Chicago to visit some college friends. One of those friends was in insurance, and he was horrified that Carol had so little life insurance. And he urged to Eugene when he got home to purchase a $50,000 life insurance policy on Carol just in case something happened to her. Because they had four young kids. Right. And to Eugene was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, let's do this. So once he was back in St. Paul, to Eugene sat down with his insurance guy, worked out a life insurance plan for Carol. Together, they figured out the appropriate amount for T. Eugene to insure himself. Okay. And then they backed into what would be needed for him and the children that um, should Carol die. Right. And they also knew Carol's um, dad had his own business and they figured there would be a sizable inheritance. And like, like they went pretty deep into like who was insured for what, why, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And, and so you were in heaven. You were like, this is like my kind of article. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> So a combination of policies was written up on Carol's life, mostly term insurance with accidental death benefits, or just plain old accidental death insurance. Uh-huh. T. Eugene said that he had a premonition uh-huh. that something horrible <laughs> was going to happen to his wife on February 8th or 9th of 1963, and that he'd had similar premonitions before when his brother and sister had died unexpectedly. That's like Trelawney. When she predicts that crystal gazing is going to be on the exam that she writes. Right. Yeah. I feel like that's about when I'm going to lose my shit with her. (laughs) The total value of all policies was $1,061,000, which is over $8.7 million today. Yeah. So not 50,000. No. Which is about what he needed. And they estimated that. Um, if her dad died, her portion of the business would be like half a mil. So this is twice that. Right. Well, but I also wonder. So actually, now that I think about that, that makes a little bit of sense. Because if she died before her dad, he may choose not to have the part of the business go to her children. Right. Or maybe it would be in a trust. So that does make sense that they would build that amount into the life insurance. Because they still, would not be getting that. But that's, that's still, still double. Right. That's a lot. <laughs> you could do... 550,000 or something like that. Well, right. Yeah. That's. Yeah. A lot. So so that'd be like $4 million. You say the whole thing was eight? Yeah. The whole thing is $8 million. So for a housewife. Right. Right. Who may or may not get any money one day. But she was a housewife. So he probably isn't worried about paying off the house because he's still the primary bedrunner. He's going to have to get some household help. Right. Unless there's a gaggle of aunties and uncles and shit. But probably still he's going to need at least a cleaning lady or a cook or, you know, something with a bunch of young children. Yeah. So there's going to be some expense, but he doesn't have to, like, buy the farm (laughs) when she goes. Right. Yeah. In the sense of actually buying land, not dying. 
<laughs> like that that's sort of a funny <laughs> anyway lots of life insurance in july of 1962 so about six months later to eugene took a case for a man named norman mastrian who had been arrested as a suspect in the execution style murder of a local restaurant owner eddie james among other things Mastrian grew up in Northeast Minneapolis and attended Edison High School. <laughs> Was a former Golden Gloves boxer with an IQ of 150 and a very extensive rap sheet. Oh, great. Well, sometimes the smart people. Yeah. Yeah. All the stimulation seeking. In late February 1963, Norman Mastrian started looking for someone to commit a murder for hire. For $2,000, which is uh, about 16000 today. That is lower than my price would be. Yes. This asshole asked everyone in town. Like, okay. I feel like he was sitting on a corner with a sign like, $2,000 to murder somebody. Right. <laughs> he, like, there was a whole lot about how many people he asked about this murder. So he was turned down over and over until he met Dick Anderson, described as a hard-drinking, pill-popping ex-Marine. Nice. Dick said he'd think about it. He did think about it. And later that day, he said he'd do it. But he was going to have to have half the money up front. Masterin said that he could front him 200 bucks, but the rest would have to be paid the following Friday. And then gave very specific instructions on how Dick Anderson was to kill Carol Thompson. Dick was told to make it look like Carol slipped in the bathtub, hit her head, and drowned. He was to hit her with a heavy rubber hose across the back of the neck to knock her out and then place her in the tub face up underwater. According to the plan, T. Eugene would leave the back door open so Dick could sneak into the house before Carol got up, because apparently she was a late sleeper. And then he would call Carol at 825 to make sure she was up. He had recently given their dog away, telling the vet mm. that they got new carpet and didn't want the dog to pee all over it. And he'd removed the upstairs telephones so that they could be replaced with the princess phone that more closely matched the color scheme. Uh-huh. This meant that Carol would have to go all the way downstairs to answer the phone, giving Dick a chance to sneak upstairs. Wow. On March 6th, 1963, Dick entered the Thompson house's planned, drunk as fuck. <laughs> he hid in the basement and waited for the telephone call to come. However, when it did, he didn't sneak upstairs while she was on the phone because he noticed that the basement stairs squeaked. So he waited until she went back upstairs before he made his move. Yeah, that's poor decision making. (laughs) I think the drunk as fuck was the poor decision making. (laughs) (laughs) He followed her upstairs. And when Carol saw him, he said that he was only looking for money and didn't intend to harm her. He told her to go lay down on her face, which she did. And then he knocked her out with the rubber hose. He carried her to the tub But when he put her into the water, she woke up and started fighting (laughs) and eventually made it to the bedroom. But there was no phone to call for help. Oh, Dick, drunk as fuck, was surprised and tried to shoot her. But the gun didn't fire. Carol made it all the way down to the front door, but it was latched and Dick was able to catch up with her. He hit her several times with the butt of his gun so hard that it shattered. Oh, my God. And knocked her to the ground. While she was stunned, 
He grabbed a knife from the kitchen and stabbed her in the throat more than 50 times, <gasps> so viciously that the blade broke. Oh, my God. This time, he was pretty sure she was dead. So he went back upstairs to set the burglary gone wrong scene. So you can imagine that he was pretty surprised when he heard the front door slam and Carol scream from the yard. (gasps) She fled to neighbor Ruth Nelson's house, but was only able to tell her that a man had hurt her before collapsing. She was taken to Anchor Hospital, now Regents, where she died around noon. Oh, my God. He stabbed her in the throat 50 times. Mm -hmm. She was able to, I mean, even just the scream, like... She was able she to had scream. Vocal cords. Well, and a couple of stories I read said that she had said more. Something about he stabbed me. Like there were a couple of other sentences, but when they said who did this to you, all she could say was a man, and then she collapsed. Wow. Because she didn't know him. It was you know, just no, some dude. Right, but like that is impressive. Yeah. Or it, he was really bad at everything. Both. Both. But it reminded me of that story I did pretty early on. The woman that yeah. that killed the guy that was sent to attack her. Who, who sent you? Who sent you? Right. Yeah, that. I wow. kind of wished when I was writing this that I hadn't used that one already. That <laughs> <laughs> would have worked very well. So this shook up the peaceful neighborhood in St. Paul. They were in Highland, which is still a really nice, tame neighborhood. <laughs> like, it's just a, it's a nice neighborhood. Right. So this shook them up pretty, pretty hard. Um, Bill Swanson, who wrote Dial M, The Murder of Carol Thompson, said there was a great deal of fear, even panic throughout the area, because for several weeks there were no arrests made and there were fears of a homicidal maniac who just walked in the front door of a respectable person's home and started slashing. There was just a great deal of fear. I feel like that is fair because that, I mean, that's wow. Yeah. St. Paul police investigated, and they soon turned their attention to T. Eugene and the massive amounts of life insurance he'd held on his wife. Yeah. But he denied involvement. He had a solid alibi. But when you hire unstable drunks to do your bidding, they eventually start talking. Yeah. Dick Anderson eventually confessed, and then he fingered Norman Mastrion, who fingered T. Eugene, who was arrested on June 21st, 1963. Thompson's trial began in October of 1963 and lasted for six weeks. There's not a ton of coverage of the end of it because in November of 1963, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Oh, yep. Nevertheless, he was convicted after 12 hours of deliberation and sentenced to life in prison. Norman Mastrain was convicted of being the middleman in this plot. By the way, the reason he didn't do it himself, even though he is very probably a murderer, um, for other purposes, he right. drew the line at women and ch- that had children. That's why he hired the other guy. <sighs> he didn't draw a very hard line. No, no, <laughs> no. He just wasn't going to do it himself. Right. Uh, so Norman Mastrain was convicted of being the middleman. He stood trial in his hometown of Duluth. It was the longest trial on record in Duluth at that point. He was convicted and sentenced to 20 years in prison, which he served. He was released in 1983, but went back in 86 for possession of stolen fur coats that he intended to trade for cocaine. He served six years for that and returned to Northeast Minneapolis upon his release. He died in 2007. I lived in Northeast in 2007. 
Dick Anderson was also convicted and sentenced to life, but I could find no additional details about him at all. The press totally concentrated on these other two guys. Right. The four Thompson children were cared for by Carol's parents, and they seemed to have turned out okay. Their oldest, Jeff, became a judge, eventually serving as the chief judge for all of Southeast Minnesota. He retired early last year. T. Eugene Thompson was released from prison in 1983, having served 19 years of a life sentence, most of it at the Minnesota Correctional Facility in Stillwater. He settled back in the Twin Cities and married Margaret Culver, who preceded him in death. Not sure whether she is related to, to the Culvers. Culvers. Yeah. He died on his 88th birthday, August 7th, 2015, in Roseville, Minnesota. Hmm. From the New York Times. T. Eugene Thompson's paid obituary on Tuesday nebulously described him as a multifaceted person and concluded <laughs> with a quotation from Oscar Wilde. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Amen. Multifaceted. Yeah. That, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying not to mentally tally like all the places that you said that I was like, oh, I've heard this. Yeah. I've heard of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so T. Eugene to Eugene right in my neighborhood which yeah that's crazy I, well and it's so I don't know what the statistic is but that you've come in contact with or you know a murderer or whatever. like we know a lot of people well I have maybe never told you this so that house I lived in in St. Paul the first house I lived in St. Yeah. Paul um was in the same neighborhood that Zacharias Musawi lived in um and I feel I, less safe about being here every time you tell me a new story. Well, no. I mean, he's in jail, but... Um, well, right, but still. But I lived in that neighborhood on September 11th. We watched the Saudi royal family oh. being flown out from the St. Paul Regional Airport, which was down the hill from my house. But I wondered, once all that came out, because a lot of them were trained in flight school here, um, and Zacharias Musari lived in my neighborhood. Right. You know, did I run into him at the Dick's IGA? Right. On the regular? Because I went there all the fucking time. So did everybody else in the neighborhood. Right. You know? Yeah. I I mean, I've taught students that I'm like, you know, you're probably going to be a serial killer. Right. But But I don't know if they are. They haven't been caught yet. Yeah. They're not very old. So. But you also think about. You know, I loved that neighborhood in St. Paul. It was very safe. It, right. You know, it. I often sat out on my front porch in the middle of the night and thought nothing of it. Right. And a goddamn terrorist lived in my neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. this guy died. I mean, we've lived here since 2016, I guess. The year before. Right. In my, in my neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know the address of the house where Carol Thompson died. I looked it up on Google Street Images. They've grown some trees in front of it. It's just, it's just weird to think about like these crazy things. I guess I watch a lot of crime drama. Mm -hmm. And so it all seems really fictional. Yeah. And then they put real places in there. (laughs) I had never heard of this. Like this was totally new to me. I found it somewhere. My father-in-law grew up not too far from here, like in St. Paul. Uh Um, So I want to ask him about it. But then I also want to ask, like, my mother-in-law, who grew up in outstate Minnesota at the same time, like, did she hear about it? Because all the coverage I oh, saw, yeah. 
it was the trial of the century. Like right. it was not only when he died, his obituary was run like in the New York Times and right. in all of the big national papers. And his only claim to fame was this murder. Right. Like he was on track to be an amazing lawyer. He'd been appointed to a committee to totally overhaul the Minnesota criminal code. Like he was up and coming, but the only thing he's known for now is this murder. Right. So that when he died 50 years later right it was new it was in the new york times as this murderer died i had never heard of him even though i grew up here right because i grew up on the other side of town and i was raised by people that aren't from here yeah awesome so that is my hometown murder that's cool and also alarming and for some reason as you were telling like the first half of the story i remembered you saying 1955 and i wasn't bored like i remember but it, I had it in my head that this was like the 1920s, 1910s. Oh, yeah. And so made the whole thing a little like too close. To <laughs> All right. So I realized now that I should have um, made Google say some of these things for me. <laughs> um, because I feel like they are probably like not hard to say names that I'm going to mispronounce. <laughs> People are going to be like, really? You're, you don't know. Uh, so anyway, my story, uh, what my not theme, but what my idea was, was to find like one of the craziest crimes from the past year mm-hmm. because it's January. It's the new year. Oh, so it yes. seems like a good wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, and Puts so a this, challenge out there for the criminals to top this one. Right. <laughs> You know, for next year, we're going to need a new story. Uh, This one didn't take place this year, but the trials and convictions and everything are this year. So it counts. Close enough. Right. So basically, I I chose a challenge. I failed at the challenge. And here's a story. (laughs) So I hope you haven't heard of it because it's way less fun that way. (laughs) It is way less fun that way. The Krugerstorp killings. I'm sorry, what? The Krugersdorp killing. I'm going to go ahead and say I've not heard of that one. Okay. <laughs> Yay. Uh, so it's not American. This is uh, took place in Johannesburg. And it, it was a really interesting case because it appeared to be something that it wasn't. Okay. Also, it's going to have like all of the things that you love in in true crime and in life all mixed together. And I'm really excited about it. So there's a teal AD&D policy with a hedgehog sticker. And. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> it keeps going. <laughs> um, OK, so. Looking through this story, because there was so much misinformation and like just absolute weirdness around the whole thing uh it was really hard to put it in order so i that's how i'm gonna tell it but it didn't come out this way right it took a while to get any usable information out of anybody because they were all nuts so here here are some of our characters they're a bunch but they're all related so it's easy uh cecilia stein who was 37 okay she is our main character and she is the weirdest one of the whole lot (laughs) and she she claimed i'll give you a couple examples she claimed that she was a 42nd generation witch and she was apparently really really persuasive about her powers and her whatever okay um she wouldn't allow anybody else to call her um her her name cecilia they were only allowed to call her c because she had convinced them that if she if they said 
her full name, that it would summon demons. So she's Beetlejuice? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> They're Beetlejuice? Right. Yeah. I, the, the, it, it, yeah. Yeah. Um, but she also claimed that, like, she had multiple personalities and most of them were children and sometimes they would speak through her. Uh, she also claimed that she could turn into a baby or a wolf. Just <laughs> whichever. <sometimes. laughs> um, and she could hold her breath underwater for an hour. That is such a weird thing to make up. I feel like there must be more of a story there. Right. So there is some more to her as well. But um, so she's sort of our main character. The other players in the story are LaRue Stein, okay. Zach Valentine, and Marcel Stein. And and they are all the ones that are or were on trial until the end of last year. Wow. Okay. Um, other players are Rhea Grunwald, who was a founding member, and here's where you will come to understand some of the weirdness, of the Overcomers Through Christ, or OTC, which stands for Over the Counter. Over the Counter. <laughs> Uh, which was a ministry, uh, really more culty than ministry. So- sounds like it. Uh-huh. Um, that was set up to inform people about Satanism. Okay. And here I was thinking it was maybe like an AA type of thing, overcoming through Christ, like overcoming that our challenges. That makes so much more sense, yeah. right? So they're going out and spreading the word that there are demons, yes. but don't worry, Jesus. I guess, or there are demons and you should be scared. I don't know. I That is a very confusing mission. <laughs> I agree. It's, it's not very concrete. No. So the reason that this is, is significant and that she comes into the story is because Cecilia and Zach were both involved with this church for a while. They were members of this, this ministry, this, this cult, scary thing. Yeah. Um, so... On July 12th, Cecilia and Zach, his wife, Michaela, and uh, Marinda, so these are just all friends of Cecilia and Zach, Mm -hmm. uh, decided to leave the the church and start their own church. Better. Okay. Their church was called the Electus Per Deus, chosen by God. And it was around from 2012 to 2016 when basically everybody got arrested. That'll end a cult pretty quick. Right. So this cult apparently really hated the other cult. So the people in Electus Electus Per Deus were basically the the people that had gone to the church and then broken away. So Marinda, Cecilia, Zach, Michaela, who is his wife, and then Marinda's two children, who are Marcel and LaRue. Okay. Okay. So... Basically, what we're going to have is Cecilia, who's the main character, um, Zach Valentine, who is not related, but is like close with mm-hmm. this group, and then her two kids. Okay. They all got matching tattoos for their church. Weird. July 26, 2012, 
They were very upset with the OTC, specifically their founder, Rhea Greenwald, and uh, decided that that she needed to go. So Rhea's difficulties started when um, she and a couple other members had bombs thrown at their cars. Oh, my. Did a whole bunch of damage there. Um, and apparently... One of the people whose cars was damaged mm-hmm. by this attack was Natasha Berger. Okay. And she was a member of the OTC. And she was a really close friend of the founder, Ria's. Hmm. Which is why she was one of the first two murder victims. They <sighs> killed both Natasha and Joy Boon Zaire. Sure. Sure. Um, who was her neighbor. So what happened, LaRue testified, they had gone into Natasha's apartment um, to figure out where she might be. So like into her complex to figure out where she lived um, and to watch her and see what some of her patterns were and when they could get access to her. And then his uh, mother, Cecilia, and Zach, apparently on July 26th, murdered both women. So they had gone back once they figured out the patterns, murdered both women. Um, and that Michaela, uh, the wife of Zach, had mm. also been on the scene and had apparently, but she didn't know what was going down. And so she ran away. So was the neighbor just because she there. was there? Yeah. Okay. Wrong place, wrong time. So they maybe should have spent a little bit more time learning patterns. I'm not really sure. Yeah. So then on August 13th of 2012, uh, the next victim was murdered. Pastor Reg Bendixson. Goodness. Mm-hmm. So he had been a friend of Rhea's and he was a guest speaker at the church from time to time. So mm. also had to go. Um, so for this murder, the way they got in instead of doing the stalking thing, which had not worked out terribly well right. before since they had to also kill the neighbor. Um, this time they decided to go with disguises. So they got wigs and police uniforms and a knife and an axe a piece and showed up at the pastor's home. Because I see a lot of cops with axes. Axes, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, you basically, you have the belt, handcuffs, an axe. Yeah, flashlight. A flashlight. Gun. I guess. Shield. Maybe a pen. Yeah, probably a pen. <laughs> that would make sense. And a little notebook that has wire at yeah, the Yeah, like a little pocket with a notebook and yeah. the wire. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Right now it's a utility belt. <laughs> right next to the hatchet. <laughs> right next to the... Right. <laughs> On the other side of the bow and arrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> Spear gun close at hand. <laughs> of course. You might have to shoot it underwater. Right. Spear gun packs a lot more power. There might be a whale. <laughs> so um, in... In October, on October 4th, actually, of 2012, same year, so a couple of months later, um, Michaela announced that she was done. She wanted out. Because remember, she had been at the murder. She didn't know what was going down. She was really upset by it. Um, And Cecilia made it clear that she was not going to be able to leave because she knew too much. Mm. Yeah. So when she was not content to stay because she knew too much zach her husband apparently gave her medicine and i'd say apparently because it says allegedly because all of this is like court record but zach gave her some medicine um which sedated her and afterward marinda and marcel stabbed her to death um in bed in her home yeah doesn't seem very christ-like i don't feel like their cults did 
either. <laughs> also, I was having a really hard time understanding Cecilia. And mm-hmm. I, I realize is because she is either very smart to have played all of these people and come up with this like character and, and confuse the issue by being duplicitous and whatever else. Um, but she she went to a church that taught people about Satanism, mm-hmm. then broke off and formed her own church that seemed to have the same message and a beef with the previous church. Right. Later in the story, she, uh, or actually it was probably before all of these murders, but sort of as part of her example of like conning everybody all the time, she'd gotten a whole bunch of money from different individuals. One, because she said she needed psychiatry appointments at medication every week mm-hmm. which yeah i think probably, <laughs> Seems probably yes. true yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but had just been you know she just spent the money on herself the other thing was that she said that she had rescued a woman from a satanic church but before she left this woman had stolen money from the church and now they had to pay it back before the church came to get her but this is this century it is which means we all know that satanic panic was bullshit Yes. And yet, it is still effective in getting people to give money for a woman that was taken out of a cult that does not and has never existed. Right. Yeah. But also, she positions herself like against all of that, but calls herself a second 40, or a 42nd generation, which that right. she can turn into a wolf. Like, I don't feel like those are things that I read about in Sunday school. So, anyway. Yeah. I, I don't understand her character. Um, but apparently she was insanely, insanely persuasive and was able to just get anybody to do anything. So the next murder uh, apparently involved a lot of planning, which is good because they're not doing so great so far. Yeah, they're, they're, spontaneity is not, yeah, not no. working out. Yeah. So originally they had planned on murdering Rhea's son. But one of Zach's friends, who was supposed to be an accomplice to this, (laughs) disappeared. So they had to, you know, cancel that one because they could get caught. (laughs) (laughs) So Cecilia, of course, was worried that the friends just disappearing was an indication that, like, the police were on to them. And he had been arrested and now they, they knew what was going on. So she ordered everybody to lay low. But the money ran out. So John suggested, you know who would be a really good person to like murder and steal all their money would be my bosses. So Peter and Joan Meyer, uh, they went to the couple's house. But when and they thought for some reason that there was one hundred thousand dollars in the house in cash. And so when they got there and there wasn't. They were really upset. It's amazing how many times we've heard about criminals that are convinced there are huge amounts of cash in a house. Right. Who does that? Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> not not people with huge amounts of cash. They know better. They they have a bank. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah, I don't know anybody who has that kind of I knew a woman whose boyfriend used to hide cash around the house. Apparently, I occasionally accidentally do that as well. Right. So, you know, he always had a stash, but it was like a few hundred bucks here and there. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it wasn't thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. Um, and so they they had to 
go into the safe and rob the house and um there wasn't all that much great stuff so they stabbed the couple to death <coughs> excuse me so they stabbed the couple to death mm. They got home with what they had, and Cecilia was not happy with how much money they had. Um, they also had a cell phone. They had a wallet with, uh, like, bank cards, so that didn't do anybody any good. Right. Um, and she was, she was really pissed with their take and all of this. So on the 16th of December, so less than a month later, they came up with another plan to get money. So they've not had any luck with murdering people and stealing money. Like the only two people they knew who they could believe had $100,000 stashed in their house <laughs> didn't. And so right. that didn't work out. So uh, another great way to get money from somebody is... <gasps> Take out a lot of life insurance and kill them. Yes! <laughs> Zach. But it never works. No. <laughs> well, their their plan had a little twist, though. Okay, because the plan was not to kill Zach for the life insurance money. It was to fake his death and then collect the life insurance money. They took out a giant life insurance policy on him, and they had to find another body that was more or less like Zach. Because we are well, okay, we are in the age where. Like we can tell if there if somebody has died, right? There's this much blood, or we can see the body, or it needs to be. But we're also in the age of like we could really easily prove that's not who that well, that's was. The thing. I mean, even if you look back at H. A. Holmes, who's pulling this shit more than a hundred years previously, they could tell the dead guy wasn't the right dead guy. Right. <laughs> right. The mole. So they found someone. He needed to be about the the same height, about the same build. They found. Identical someone, in DNA. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Named Jared Jackson, who was a street vendor who usually sold, sold um, his wares, his snacks and things right, mm. right near their street. Uh, they later said that Zach had died in a car crash while he was on his way to Free State for the weekend. And then, and then that's how he had died. Right. But it wasn't him. It was Jared. They went to Jared and they told him this story to get him to go with Zach. Zach and Jared were in the front of Zach's BMW. Um, and LaRue was sitting behind the passenger seat behind Jared to keep him in line. Um, Miranda and John followed in the other car and uh, LaRue gave Jared a drink. So he not only got this guy to go with him, but mm -hmm. to, to drink something that he handed him, which was um, his sleeping medicine mixed with like juice. Okay. To cover the taste, which I just don't know that it would do a good enough job. But no. so Jared passes out. Larue, who's sitting behind him, strangled him. So they in a car, in the car. Well, it's moving. So it was Zach driving. Okay. And then okay. Okay. The I thought the Jared other guy the stranger. was. I yeah. thought Jared was driving. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, Jared was in the passenger seat, and then Larue was behind Better. the passenger seat to keep him in line. So Better. <laughs> when he passed out, they strangled him, or Larue strangled him. They put him in the car. They poured paraffin all over it, I guess, to make him a candle, essentially. And they drove back to Krugersdorp, which is still. A great crazy word. name. <laughs> so the following week, they went and they identified the body as Zach at the mortuary and were issued a death certificate. But Zach's policy didn't pay out. So everyone was still broke. 
no money. So that didn't work. They decided in January that the next victim, because at this point, like, oh my God. why not, uh, would be Glenn McGregor, who was an accountant. Because accountants totally keep large amounts of cash in their house. Yes, that is definitely something accountants are known for. Right. So LaRue and Miranda went to Glenn's uh, company and pretended to ask for help with Miranda's taxes. But when he was looking over her taxes, Miranda shot him (gasps) and then went into his account and transferred a bunch of money to herself. And then LaRue finished the job by strangling him. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they carried Glenn, who was a really big guy, to the bathroom, and they put his body in the bath, and they opened up all of the the taps in the room and flooded, essentially. Because that'll take away a bullet wound. Yeah, I don't know (laughs) what the story was supposed to have been. Maybe they were just trying to rid the body of evidence, like wash it? I guess, but Because it just seems like it would be really obvious that he was shot, and... And then also strangled and never drown. Right. These are not bright people. (laughs) The whole thing is just bizarre. It really is. So May of 2016. Oh my God. They came up with another plan. Was it to get some fucking jobs? Uh, No. (laughs) No. This is a full time job, Diana. They are busy, busy beavers. So they came up with another plan. Um, Their last one had actually worked just fine. I mean, even to the date of this article. So like in November of last year, two months ago, um, they don't, they haven't actually arrested anyone for Glenn McGregor's murder. So it came out in the testimony, like it is now public record, whatever, but they hadn't made any arrests in that case yet. And I don't know if it's going to be one of those situations, which I hate when they don't. They're like, you're already in jail forever. Yeah, no point. Right. But at the same time, like, but then those victims also didn't get any sort of day in court. Yeah, can't they just, like, be appended to the guilty verdict? Right. (laughs) Just like, also, we need to tie all of this to you. Right. So the third victim of May of 2016. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, was one that Marinda went and got. So she made an appointment and he arrived at her apartment. After this third murder that Marinda was involved in, uh, Cecilia had been for some time insisting that he take out a life insurance policy on himself, LaRue. Uh. And he had already said at this point, stupidly that he was thinking about leaving like he was he was kind of done with everything Mm -hmm. and so he absolutely refused to take out a life insurance policy in his name good call right (laughs) um and and he absolutely believed that if he had not done that that his death would not have been faked so much is actually true um so may 16th of 2018 LaRue, who did all of this testifying, like all of the information we have is from him, uh, reached a plea deal with the state and became state's witness. Mm-hmm. So he has uh, a, he was going to have a 35 year jail sentence. It was reduced by 10 years after he testified against the other accused. LaRue's mother, Marinda, was sentenced to 11 life sentences oh. in prison after pleading guilty. So Cecilia has not yet been sentenced. Um, and I think that pretty much wraps up all of the people. 
That is so crazy. Right? They talked about how this was just an example of organized crime, essentially. So it was culty. It was mobby. Organized is a stretch. Well, (laughs) also very true. I mean, some of their things were very like organized and clever with the switching of the dates and the right they figured that, that was out. but a lot of the rest of it was very half-assed right also it was like they started out with some sort of purpose like okay we're we're gonna be the you know killing people for revenge kind of right. and then just we're like well that wasn't very hard you know what else we could use killing for we broke. Right. Right. <laughs> All of a sudden we're not even gonna we're not even gonna pretend anymore that no. it was motivated by any sort of cause. We're no. just we just wanted some money. We're just broke. Right. So yeah. Organized crime, uh cults. Cults. Insurance. Insurance. Murder. Oh, it's all good stuff. Right. So yeah. Craziest crime I could find from twenty eighteen or having anything to do with twenty eighteen. Right. I think that qualifies pretty well. <laughs> right. So next week, the challenge will be to tie into these strangely specific stories <laughs> for today. I don't know. I got a couple candidates. All uh, right. So Aaron. Yes. What have you been listening to? I listened. Well, okay. In all honesty, I've been listening to binge mode Harry Potter every second <laughs> of every day. Uh, there are so many episodes. It's so great. <laughs> But the other thing that I listened to this week in an effort to make sure that I listened to a podcast. So I have been listening to That Sounds Serious. That Sounds um, Serious. Right? <laughs> so it's it's funny. It's a sort of a satire kind of making fun of um, like serial and that investigative journalist oh, kind of true crime podcast. Okay. So it's a spoof. Um, and it follows a person who listens to 911 calls and came across one they can't stop thinking about. And so her journey to trying to discover about this guy who like maybe drown in his bed and then his brother called 911 and it was just as absolutely bizarre as all of that and so she has been looking into the brother but it has lots of like twists and turns where <laughs> you're like okay that's absolutely ridiculous that you know this is obviously satire and then we're telling our stories and I'm like you know <laughs> not that far fetched it's kind of plausible really um but it's funny it's it it was pretty good so, awesome yeah what have you been listening to? Um, so in full disclosure, I am still listening to The Dollop. <laughs> we are now into 2015. There are so many episodes, guys. <laughs> no, there's so many. Um, but one of my newer favorites from last year is Affirmative Murder, which I know you've also listened to. Yes. Uh, I was thinking, I was wondering if either of, like, which yep, one of no, us was going to no, do no. it. So Affirmative Murder is a couple guys in Baltimore, Alvin yep. and Fran, and they concentrate on crime against people of color um, while at the same time like really dig in Trader Joe's, which makes me super excited. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
their chemistry is so great. It is so good. So funny. So they tell a couple stories, um, and then they end with a game Frazzle Fran, where Alvin comes up with these puzzle things to <laughs> confuse Fran. They yes. do a is it monthly cereal and cereal? Yes. <laughs> where they that, talk about cereal killers and breakfast cereal and breakfast cereal, <laughs> children's breakfast cereal all oh, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Frosted, no, no fiber. And, no. <laughs> and that that section is so funny because they sound like a judge on a baking show, <laughs> but like cereal. There's a whole right. rubric. Yeah. Like, I appreciate a good rubric. It's pretty great. <laughs> so uh, affirmative murder. Check them out. They are so fun. They, yes. Agreed. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. So I that is another continued theme, right? We're going to do a podcast every. Let's do it. I love it. I love it. Plus, it makes me listen to more stuff. And I think we could, yeah, find some really cool ones. Um, But we're doing that because we had asked if for you to leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to podcasts. Spotify. We're on Spotify. Spotify. Yes, we are. We are fixed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and so originally we were each going to listen to and review a podcast for for each review that you mm-hmm. left us. Um, but at this point, I think we're going to do that anyway. So thank you for the reviews. But we got a review back Yay. around Christmas. Thank you. Yes. So Gracie Babbles on iTunes <laughs> um, actually left us a review for one of our guests that we have had on twice recently. So Betsy, shout out to you, even though you probably weren't allowed to listen to this episode. <laughs> Your mom will tell you about it. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Maybe Nana. Nana will tell you about it. Nana will tell you about it. <laughs> so shout out to Betsy and thank you for helping us with not one but two December episodes. Yay. That was so fun. Also, you can come visit and play with my kids anytime you want. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thank you, Gracie Babbles, for your review. We appreciate it. Crime Crazy is sponsored by David Hatz. Thank you. Show sponsors support Crime Crazy through Patreon at the $10 per month level or above. Woohoo! Yay! A very special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, Aaron. All right, so it is the beginning of the month. Whoa. So thank you to Dave Hat, to Peg P, Yay. Patty S, Yay. and Brian W. Thank you. If you'd like to support Crime Crazy, and we we really hope you would, please check out our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash crimecrazypod or search for Crime Crazy Podcast. All patrons get a monthly shout out on the show in addition to other lovely prizes. Erin, I know we didn't talk about New Year's resolution, but I did make one. Did you? I did. I'm excited. But I need the help of our fans. Ooh. So we have some pretty big plans for the podcast this year. We really do. We are going to a conference. Yes. We have all sorts of stuff planned for you. Yes. But we need a little help. And we need the help in the form of money. <laughs> it is true. So my New Year's resolution is that by my birthday, which is April 7th, I want $75 in monthly Patreon, Patreon donations. Ooh. Because that is the year I was born and it was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Just an arbitrary number from Diana. And by your birthday, Ooh. I want 83. 83? Is that when you were born? No. 82? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, 83, what percentage is she going up by? No, no, no. Just can't math. <laughs> so that is my goal. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So if y'all could uh, work on that for me, that'd be great. 
Right. Yeah, no, that that would be great. Well, it would too, because like this this week alone, we've had some podcasting bills come up and yep. it it doesn't, it costs mostly time yes. to do this and a lot of willpower when it is Monday night and there's still editing to be done. <laughs> but there are some actual bills associated with creating a podcast and yep. we want to keep doing really great content yes. and also pay our bills. Yes, that would be lovely. So that is my goal for this year. Awesome. You can make a one-time payment on Patreon. So if yes. someone wanted to buy us a cup of coffee Ooh. and send us a one-time donation, that would also be yes. awesome. That is also fantastic. Yep. All right. You can follow Crime Crazy on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash crimecrazypod. From there, catch up on the conversation by joining one of two of the Crime Crazy groups. You can follow us on Twitter at Crime Crazy Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at Crime Crazy Pod. You can visit our website at CrimeCrazyPodcast.com or email us at CrimeCrazyPodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us individually on Twitter. You're at Erin Plime. I'm at Diana underscore Secon. And on Instagram, you're at Eplime. And I'm at Diana underscore Secon. And you can go to crimecrazypodcast.com to see how to spell those <laughs> good point Erin <laughs> just saw somebody try to spell my name this week and it was a good time for everybody but yes. <laughs> it is true awesome well I am looking forward to reading our reviews for next week yes. and I am looking forward to finding a new podcast to listen yes. to and I guess I'll learn something yeah Maybe about squirrels. We'll Maybe. see. We'll see. Maybe that's the thread that ties everything <laughs> together. <laughs> In the meantime, Diana, do you have any great advice for us today? I do. Be careful who you're hanging out with. Right. Because if the people you're hanging out with keep talking to you about how you should buy a bunch of life insurance policies, you should not hang out with them anymore. Right? Yeah. Especially if it's like a lot, a lot. A lot, a lot. Like yeah. there's, you know, when you have a new friend that gets their license and they want to practice on people, like that's fine. Right. But let them practice on you with like a nice moderate policy if you're in need. Right. Not with a real big one. Don't tempt those around no, you. No, 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 no. <laughs> like don't start mentioning how much money you can get when that person dies. Right. Not cool. No. No. Not cool anyway. No. <laughs> Not cool. Call your people. Call your people. You never know if they might have accidentally joined a cult. And if they have, make them call your dad. Right? <laughs> That's like follow-up advice from the next right. podcast you listen to today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And don't end up on next week's episode. No, because um, <laughs> I think I fell on my neck or something. And, oh, like then oh, was yeah. scared. Yeah. So, but I have learned as an adult that cartwheels are are out. My my wrists are like no, no. and my groin <laughs> is like no. <laughs> no, I've never done a cartwheel. Cartwheels are fun. No, nope. I learned how to do one handed. I I never got to no handed, but like where I could just touch the ground a little less bit. Mm -hmm. So nope. I am I am earthbound. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cute. The when we had the gophers um or chipmunks, I don't remember anymore cuz it was a really long time ago. Um 
we had we had a split level house that I grew up in, and you mm-hmm. came in from the garage on the level between like the the first floor and the basement, and there was just uh-huh. a bathroom. And we didn't use the shower in the bathroom, so we kept our shoes in there. And uh, my dad got home from work, and he was yelling at me that something I couldn't understand. And I went down and be like, "What the fuck are you yelling about?" Right. Um. And he was yelling at me because like everything was in disarray in the bathroom, and he figured I had done it. And I hadn't. So I go down and be like, what do you mean? Everything's all messed up. Right. And we look in, you know, it's one of those basement windows that's high up. But my mom had a little blind on it. Mm -hmm. Two little tail or no, one little tail hanging out. And so my dad, of course, rolled up the blind. And then we were sad about that (laughs) because then we had a loose fucking chipmunk or gopher or whatever it was all over the basement. Like we run upstairs, we close the door, we call animal control Animal control comes over and finds him and then lets him out in the front yard, but he wouldn't leave. He's like hanging out at the front door like he's asking to be invited back in. <laughs> he's and, like, wait, wait, that was a really good place, though, actually. Well, it turns out he'd left his girlfriend inside. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> how cute. We did not find out about her for a little bit more. <laughs> oh. so, whole same thing again. Call like accidentally found it ran upstairs screaming called animal control they come right. over they let her out right next to him and they scampered off <laughs> it was very cute but very traumatic <laughs> i mean at least like they both got to go together well, and, and my dad's a very like low-key doesn't get excited easily and he was running so fast out of that bathroom, like, and, and trying to get me out, too. And it was a sharp turn up to the stairs, up to the kitchen. Yeah. He, he like, accidentally shoved me in the door frame. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, because he's, like, yeah, trying that to would shove be me traumatic. out of there. <laughs> I can still remember, like, it's the only time he's ever physically hurt me at all. And it was totally an accident. Right. But, like, it's like, what the fuck? Right, right. Thanks, <laughs> We got Dad. critters in our basement. I get yelled for it. And now you're beating me up? Like, <laughs> Okay. Everything is awesome. <laughs> <laughs>